Acts chapter number 16 is where we're going to be this morning. We have been uh, preaching about missions and missions month, and we're going to continue a little bit along that line this morning in Acts chapter number 16. There's a very familiar passage in the Bible that's here. These incidents took place during Paul's second missionary journey. If you go back to Acts chapter number 13, it was the church at Antioch that sent out Paul as a missionary from that church, and he experienced some very difficult things on his first missionary journey. And in spite of the fact that he had great challenge and difficulties uh, in the first missionary journey, he chose to go out on the second missionary journey, and again, he faced great opposition and difficulty there. So in Acts chapter number 16, we're going to start our, re- our reading in verse number 14. Paul here has traveled to a place called Philippi. In verse number 14, and a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, which worshiped God, heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, she besought us, saying, If ye had judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. And she constrained us. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. And when her masters saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace under the rulers and brought them to the magistrates, saying, These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. And teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. And the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. And when they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks." Now, we're, we're going to be preaching a message talking about responding to the Macedonian call. This, this, all these things took place because Paul responded to the Macedonian call, which we did not read in our text this morning, but was found earlier in this chapter. Let's go to the Lord of, in, the, in a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the message today. Our Father in heaven, we humble ourselves in your presence. And Lord, if there was ever a time when I need you, when I need you, I need you now. Help me, Lord, as I speak. Help me to not say anything I shouldn't. And Father, I pray as I preach your word that you would draw people to yourself. I pray for the lost and saved alike, for the lost that they would be saved before it's eternally too late, that they might believe on you before even this hour is over. And for the saved, Lord, I pray that we might take our place in your kingdom, that we might preach and speak of you, that we might witness and tell of you regardless of what opposition comes our way. We pray and we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. 
Now this was taking place in this passage of Scripture, all these things that we read this morning, as a result of a vision that had came to the Apostle Paul earlier in the chapter. Notice in verse number, uh, verse number 9 of Acts chapter 16, just before verse 9, Paul was talking about, I'm going to go into a certain place. He was thinking he was going to go uh, to certain places, and God prevented him from going there. And he, he, he received a vision from the Lord about this Macedonian man in verse 9. And a vision appeared to, to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. We need your help. And notice what Paul says in verse 10. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. This is a a mission work of the church. You know, some people have mission work uh, all mixed up. They think mission work is going to feed the hungry. Or they think mission work is just about uh, going and doing medical missions. I want to say this. Medical missions and feeding the hungry is a part of missions. But the main part of missions is the preaching of the gospel of the Lord. What good would it do to fill someone's belly if they don't know how to be saved by the grace of God? When Paul said, I'm going to go over there and help them, it wasn't to fill their belly. It wasn't so that they would receive health or medical care. It was so that he could tell them of the riches of Jesus Christ by preaching the gospel unto them. One of the people that he encountered here was this lady named Lydia, a seller of purple. You didn't get a hold of purple in Bible times if you didn't have wealth. The Bible says in verse number 14, and there's messages to be preached about this, because the Bible said that the Lord opened her heart in verse number 14. Thank the Lord for those whose hearts have been opened by God. I remember the day that I got saved when the pastor was preaching from Isaiah chapter 53 where it said that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. And the pastor was preaching about all of my sins being laid upon the back of Jesus Christ. And the Lord opened my heart to some issues of salvation that day. And I knelt down beside the altar and received Jesus Christ. Thank the Lord for the Lord opening people's hearts. If you've never been saved today, the Lord could open your heart. He uses preaching to draw people. If you feel in your heart, hey, wait a second, I've never been saved today. You can be saved today by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what happens when people are saved. But notice what took place when during this missionary journey. Paul is encountered of a woman who's possessed by a demonic presence. She started following these men around everywhere. It's kind of an amazing thing as I read the story. What she was saying wasn't actually untrue. She says in verse number 17, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Well, what about what she's saying isn't true? You know, basically if you read the story, what's taking place here is this woman is following them everywhere they go for praying and for preaching, and she's causing a huge distraction. I want to say this. We should never come to the Lord's house and cause a distraction in the house of God. When my parents were raising me, they taught me when I come to church, don't get up to go to the bathroom. When we get into church, we sit there. Or if we go to the bathroom, we go during the handshake chorus or during the 15 minutes in between services. I do find it amazing that most people can sit through a two-hour movie and can't sit through a 30-minute sermon. My pastor used to get really, really honorary in church, and I'm not nearly as honorary as here. You heard Brother Paul preach. He'd call people down, especially the young people. Where are you going? 
didn't you have enough time to go to the bathroom before service? And he'd tell these young people who got to talking in the middle of the service, he's, you young people in the back, you two teenage girls in the back, if you keep that yapping up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call you down to the front. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you something. There was a holy hush that fell into, now I'm not nearly as mean as my preacher was. But you got to meet Brother Paul, and I'm just going to, he'd just shake those jowls. He always had those lamb chops. Okay, I'm going to stop preaching about all that. But we should never want to be a distraction in the, in the, the house of God. God's children should value order and respect the house of God. By the way, this kind of spirit is cultivated in families. If you're a family and you have small children, you start when you're at home. I was always taught, don't expect your children to behave in public when you've never taught them to behave in private. That means this is one of the only places where we see a songbook and a Bible. If you want to teach your children to sit in church, you know one of the first things you need to teach your child, and they can learn how to do this when they're two, it's called whispering. We don't talk out loud in service. We whisper. We're quiet. We don't grab the loudest piece of candy and start shaking it around in service. We want not to cause a distraction in the house of the Lord. You you don't want to, you know, this is why you turn your phone off when you come in, if you can remember to do that. I used to try to catch people with their phones on when we were going through choir practice. The pastor was always notorious for keeping his phone on on during choir practice. He'd forget about it. And I always wanted to remind him that he kept his phone on, so I'd call him right when it got quiet. If you ever do that to me... I've got some culprits over here in that row. Don't even think about it. I had a pastor one time. He, he was t- it was Brother Paul. It was Brother Paul. And you mean Brother Paul was funny. And uh, he, he's like, I don't understand how we're going to go through all this COVID, getting through this. He goes, we had somebody come forward during a virtual altar call this morning. They raised their hand for prayer during a virtual altar call. He's like, I'm going to have to keep my phone on during service. And his son, Shay, who was a prankster, was in that church, and he called his dad's phone right there during the middle of the service. His phone starts. He's like, what in the world? And he looked down at Shay. He said, I will whip you. <laughs> his son's full grown. But uh, anyhow. What I'm saying is, is that we ought to value respect and order in the house of God. Cultivate a spirit of godliness in your families. Take a songbook home with you. Just bring it back. Bring a Bible home with you. If you're going to try to teach a child how to sit in church, you take a Bible out and you do a 15-minute devotion with them and you teach them that during church this isn't the time to talk. You know, people need to be able to look around and kind of get a clue. You ever met a child, they were in a restaurant, and they just thought the whole world revolved around them, and they didn't get it the way they wanted, so they started hooting and hollering and screaming, and and they just made your beautiful dinner at Red Lobster just to go, you know, it, it went out the window. Because somebody thought that it was the place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And my friends, we teach our children to behave at home. And by the way, young people, if you're in the house of God, look around. Look at the men who make up this church. Look at how they behave. You know, we have men in this church that are like Brother Arnold Stowe and like Brother, Brother, Brother Wayne Hudson. When Brother Wayne's here and Brother C.R. Dominey, these are pillars in this church. You can get a clue by looking at older men and how they behave in church. That's how we ought to be. You say, how'd you get that out of Acts 16? It's called my sanctified imagination. Thank you. Men and women should not desire preeminence when they come to church. You ever met somebody who comes to church for the first time in several years, never seen the person before, and they start hooting and hollering amen so loud to where they're taking control of the service? Uh, yeah. That happens sometimes. 
That person doesn't need preeminence. Jesus gets the preeminence in the church. I was in a church one time and they were singing a song called, If It Matters to You, It Matters to the Master. And there was a lady up on in the front and she got to hooting and hollering and screaming during this song. I couldn't even hear the words to the song. My daughter Grace was with me and she goes, Dad, what's going on? Well, what was going on was there was somebody in the service who wanted to take preeminence in that service. Jesus gets the preeminence in the Lord's church. Now, there's something wrong with not saying amen. And if you can agree with something, then say amen. But don't try to say amen to where everybody's looking at you because the church isn't about you. It's about the Lord. So this was similar to what this woman was doing. And Paul had enough. You know, and, and I want to say this, you know, as you talk about this and you read this in Acts chapter number 16, the Bible says that this certain damsel which was possessed with the spirit of divination, this is basically talking about demon possession. And there are certain things I'd like to say about this as we get through this story. Christians, those who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, cannot be possessed of the devil. They can be oppressed of the devil, but they cannot be possessed of the devil. Only those who are lost can be possessed of the devil. There's an example in Scripture of someone who was possessed by Satan himself. Now, the devil has a lot of imps. The devil has demons that fell, and the Bible speaks about them. About a third of the angels fell with Satan. Those are not progenitors. That means they don't have children, and the Bible says that they're reserved under chains of darkness uh, and that they're going to be punished in the day to come. And if you, you recognize when the maniac of Gadara came out and the demons began to talk to the Lord, they said, if you come to torment us before the time, the devils know that their day of judgment is coming. But Satan himself entered into a man named Judas Iscariot. You can read about it in the Gospels. A wicked man who spent time with Jesus Christ determined that he was going to sell out Jesus. For 30 pieces of silver. I remember I was years ago going to a Detroit Tigers baseball game. I worked for a police department at the time, and they were giving me free tickets to go on down there and, and uh, to, to go to the Detroit Tigers baseball game. And there was a guy there by the name of Cecil Fielder. Cecil was a big, big, he was a burly man. He hit the ball out of Detroit Tigers Stadium one time. I saw it with my own two eyes. It was a great, glorious sight. But Cecil had left the Detroit Tigers and signed with another team. And there was a guy in the stand saying, 30 pieces of silver. 30 pieces of silver. He got up to the plate just teasing Cecil. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, Judas Iscariot, he took 30 pieces of silver for our Jesus, for my Savior, and sold him out. He thought that 30 pieces of silver was going to make him happy. He thought that 30 pieces of silver was going to float his boat. And he deceived. And he planted a kiss on the face of the Savior, who, by the way, was bloody at that time, coming out of the Garden of Gethsemane. His lips touched the very blood of Jesus Christ, but he wasn't saved. And when he recognized, the Bible said that Satan himself entered into Judas Iscariot when this happened. Satan took possession of him. And he did the workings of Satan. You know what the end of Judas Iscariot was? He hung himself and he died. That's what Satan's plan is for all you young people. He wants to kill all of you. And if you do things Satan's way, this is exactly what takes place. But Judas didn't get any, any gratification from that 30 pieces of silver. He, the Bible says he tried to find repentance and he couldn't find, find it. And he, he went into that potter's field and he hung himself there. Now, I want to say this about the devil, just like with Judas... Judas wasn't satisfied by selling Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver, and the devil will never satisfy you either. 
He'll always have you coming back for more. You can go, you can go to pleasure. And there's a lot of people who live their lives for pleasure. Today this world lies in immorality. Men that are seeking after pleasure, whether it's, a, it's a, of somebody of the opposite gender or even somebody of the same gender, they're seeking for pleasure today. Pleasure doesn't satisfy and it keeps you coming back for more. Alcohol is a great thief and people run to alcohol for pleasure. And alcohol will always keep you coming back for more. And drugs keep people coming back for more. This morning I, I took my pill bottle out. I was telling people I got these antibiotics that I'm supposed to be taking because I just had surgery. I want to tell you something, there's a lot of people who when they hear that it calls their name because they're hooked on, on pills and they're looking for their pleasure from pills. But it doesn't satisfy and it ties people up and many times it takes their own life. We knew of a preacher's daughter one time not many years ago, had four children, four beautiful children and went out into eternity because she took one too many of those things. As far as me and for, for this pastorate and for this pulpit, you young people will always hear me say, you say no to that stuff. It affects our people. You don't need to turn to drugs. You need to turn to Jesus. Amen. Don't ever try that stuff. By the way, I hate it. I hate the abuse of pills and I hate the abuse of drugs because it steals away people's lives. And if you don't think this is relevant preaching, I'm going to tell you something. It affects our congregation. I've known of many people, just like that preacher's daughter. You know, somebody in the church had to take care of those children after she went out into eternity. And thank God for those who stepped up. But you know what happened? Satan had his way in her life. Don't let him have his way in your life. Uh, there are no doubt that there are instances of demon possession in our world today. However, Christians are not supposed to live in this hidden world, nor give too much thought to these things that we cannot see or even confirm. I've met Christians who scared their families and wanted to talk about these things, uh, people that are suffering with demon possession and the like. And there are no scriptural examples of people who lived in this realm and no scriptural instruction given to Christians to give all kinds of credence to those who are possessed of the devil. Now we know that there are people who have demonic oppression and even possession today. But I want to tell you something, greater is he that's within us than he that's within the world. Now notice about this woman, she was owned by some people. I grew up in Detroit and I knew women who were just like this. They were owned by people who were using them for financial gain. Perhaps you've heard about this kind of relationship in our own generation. Men who own women and use them for financial gain. Paul commands this demonic presence to come out of her and when she goes back to her right mind her masters had no more use for her. She wasn't going to make them any more money and they got mad about it because she was of no use to them. I want to say this, a lot of times when an evil spirit goes out of a person, the devil doesn't have much more to do with them. I want to say this, if you have opened up your life to the devil, you can choose to say, I don't want the devil here anymore, and Jesus can come in and make you free. If you're tied up with drugs, you're tied up with alcohol, you're tied up with some kind of false thing about, uh, you know, uh, relationships or some pleasure, Jesus offers freedom from that. The Bible talks about these men getting upset. They were so mad that this spirit went out of this woman that she wasn't able to be used for them for financial gain. The Bible says that they went and falsely accused them in verse number 20. They brought, they caught these men by their clothes and they brought them to the magistrates. They said, these men being Jews do trouble our city. How did they trouble the city? They told an evil spirit to get out of that woman. And he says, they teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither observe being Romans. In verse number 22, and the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded them to beat them. 
Now you know what happened here with Paul was unlawful because Paul was a Roman citizen. And later on in the chapter he shows those magistrates, you all beat us being uncondemned and we were Romans and those magistrates were fearing because they could be severely punished for that. They could even be put to death for that. And they asked Paul to get out of there. But what we do know about this is that the Bible says in verse number 23 that they laid a lot of stripes on these. They laid a lot of stripes on these men. Sometimes we as people, we don't understand that there's real suffering in the world. Real suffering. They took a whip and they beat these men. You know what that would leave on their back? That would leave some scars. Remember when Paul said, don't trouble me no more. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He suffered. Caused him great physical pain. The Romans weren't known for lightly beating people. They would beat them. And they would beat them harshly and terribly. I'm not sure how many of you have remembered a story back in the 1990s where a teenager from the United States went to Singapore. And he decided that he was going to spray paint some cars and do some vandalism out there. But in Singapore, they've got a law that if they catch somebody doing this vandalism in order to thwart this down, that they would cane them. It's called caning. They'd take this ratted cane and they'd bear somebody's back and they would wrap somebody on the back with it several times. And the whole purpose of it is to cause blood to be drawn from their back. I read this from Time Magazine. Most cases of petty teenage vandalism end with a slap on the wrist. Unless you happen to be in Singapore, which maintains a sparkling standard of cleanliness by meeting out draconian punishments to lawbreakers. So learned this man named Michael Fay, an 18-year-old high school student from Ohio who was attending the Singaporean American School. In 1994, Fay confessed to spray painting several cars and defacing property during a 10-day vandalism spree. Fay later, who said his confession was coerced, received a typically stiff sentence for his transgressions. Four months in prison and six strokes with a four-foot-long, six-inch-wide rattan cane. When the U.S. officials heard of these such floggings could allegedly cause permanent damage, they protested the sentence. But Singapore's government, undeterred by the prospect of an international row, carried out the sentence on May 5, 1994, where they bared that young man's back and somebody came in and delivered him these strikes to his back. Now, I am not condoning this kind of thing. But for those who think the four strokes that kid got on his back were anywhere near the beating that Paul got back in Bible times, you're sadly mistaken. And he got it for doing something he shouldn't have been doing, and Paul got it because he was preaching the gospel. I'm sure that this caning was nothing in comparison to the many stripes the Bible says in verse number, number 23, and when they had laid many stripes on them, their backs were bloodied, their backs were scarred. Now, what is a common response to this? If somebody grabbed me out of the pulpit today and bared my back and started beating the living daylights out of me, causing blood to come from my back, you think I'd be taking that? Jesus loves the little children. No. The way we Americans respond when we don't get it the way we ordered is we start getting angry. What did I do to deserve this? You know, sometimes righteous people suffer, and there's a purpose for their suffering, so that God could receive glory. Sometimes people get angry at God when bad things happen to them and their family. 
Why did you allow this to happen to me? I'm only out here preaching for you. Why would you allow me to be caught like this and to be beaten like this and to thrown into prison like this? That wasn't the response of Paul and Silas, thank the Lord. If you notice what happened here in verse number 24, the jailer throws these guys in the stocks and has their feet fast hold in the stocks. And the Bible says in verse 25 that at midnight Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises to God and the prisoners heard them. You know, God's people ought to know a little bit of something about praising. If you're in pain this morning, if you're afflicted this morning, if you've been persecuted this morning, if you've been rejected by friends this morning, if something bad's going on in your house or in your life this morning, perhaps you, like Paul and Silas, should turn to the Lord and pray. Perhaps you, like Paul and Silas, might turn to the Lord and praise His name. Praise puts us in a position of worship. God's in charge, not us. God must have had a purpose in this, and that he did. I'm sure that you remember that song that Elvis Presley recorded in 1957 called Jailhouse Rock. But this was the real jailhouse rock right here, because when they started singing and praising God, the Bible talks about a great earthquake took place. And for those of you who don't know what it's like to to see an earthquake take place, just get on YouTube this afternoon and see what took place in the 1989 World Series. I remember where I was when that took place. I was in East Detroit, Michigan. 1989 was a big year in my life. My sister left for college and I took her room. She gone. And I get a room. And her room was nicer than mine. But I was watching the World Series that year and there was an announcer by the name of Al Michaels uh, announcing a game between the Oakland A's and I forget who was playing. Maybe it was the San Francisco Giants. And right in the middle of that game, A 6.9 earthquake hit that place. I want to tell you something. It shook something up. It knocked out all the power. On October 17, 1989, a magnitude 6.9 earthquake rocks Northern California during Game 3 of the World Series between San Francisco and Oakland, forcing postponement of the matchup. The series resumed 10 days later after the earthquake, which killed 67 people and caused more than uh, 3,700... Injured more than 3,700 and caused more than $5 billion in damage. I want to tell you something. When an earthquake takes place, it shakes you up. It scares you. You ever ever give God credence to who He is by recognizing His great power in creation? I want to tell you something. These tornadoes and these hurricanes and these things that are taking place, I don't give homage to Mother Nature at all. And if you think for one second that all these hurricanes and earthquakes are taking place because my car doesn't get 20 miles to the gallon, there's something wrong with you. Our church van is not the reason that we're having, you know, the, the planet warming up. It's called weather, weather patterns. And God's in control of the weather patterns. Don't bow to that altar. There's a lot of people, and by the way, it's a religion today. People believe that more than they believe anything else, and I've seen it across the world. I'm not going to take time to run that rabbit trail, but I met people over in Thailand who these women, they weren't going to have any babies because of global warming. I want to say, you're going to, you're going to forego one of God's greatest gifts to the world so that you could bear a child because this issue of plastic on the ocean and global warming. I want to tell you something today. You need to stop listening to the news and you need to start reading the Bible. God's in charge of all of those things. It's God who's who's in charge of the weather. When this earthquake took place, it shook the very foundations of that prison. And the Bible says that immediately all the doors were opened and everybody's bands were loosed. 
The Bible says in verse 27 that this, this jailer, he thought that the, the prisoners had escaped. He'd heard these men preaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says he heard that these men were praying. He heard these men singing praises. And when he saw the earthquake, he said, my life is over. You know what would happen to a Roman guard if his prisoners who he was put in charge of got away? He would be put to death in front of his family. And rather than being put to death in front of his family, the Bible said that this man was ready to fall on his sword. He was ready to take his own life because he didn't want to be humiliated in front of his family. But there was a preacher there, thank God. Thank God when he pulled that sword out and he was putting it on the ground and he was about to fall on it. And I want to hear to tell you today, if you're thinking about suicide and taking your own life, I want to tell you that comes straight from the devil. The devil's the one who puts that stuff in people's minds that God does not want you to take your own life. Suicide is terrible. Suicide leaves untold questions to the family members who are left behind. Suicide in many cases, is, the root of it is selfishness. I want to tell you something, it's never God's plan for you to take your own life. But this man was about to fall on his sword and thank God for a preacher who said, don't, don't do that. Do thyself no harm. We are all here. And this guy who just about, was just about to breathe his last breath from falling on that sword, he comes in. The Bible says he gets a light, and he, he comes in and he asks this question which should be asked of many people. If you're not saved today, you say, hey, what must I do to be saved? Notice in verse number 30, he came springing for a light. He was trembling. He'd almost taken his own life, and he wasn't ready to meet the Lord. I want to tell you something. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you're not ready to meet the Lord. And you need to get saved before it's eternally too late. And he comes with that light, and he said, in verse number 30, he's not treating him like a prisoner no more, is he? You know, when the Bible says they thrust him into the innermost prison, you know, they don't treat prisoners very well. They rough them up. They shake them. They throw them. When they put those stocks on, they're not treating them gently. But he comes in, and he says, sirs, his heart's already begun to change. Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And I'm going to tell you what they didn't say. They didn't say you got to get baptized. They didn't say that you got to do a whole lot of good works in order to get saved. Like some of these other churches are saying. If you submit to our system of religion, they didn't tell him that. This is what they said. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Have you ever believed on Jesus Christ? It's through what he did on Calvary. Jesus Christ was crucified for the sins of men. He, they said, what must I do to be saved? And he said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And thank the Lord, he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ that day. Not only that, but he allowed these men to go and preach the gospel in their house. The Bible talks about the change of life that took, that took place in this man's life. No longer was he beating them. No longer was he throwing them into the innermost prison. Now the Bible says that he's washing their stripes in verse 33. He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. You know what that meant? That meant he, he got some warm water and a sponge or a cloth, a clean cloth. And the very stripes that were laid on the backs of these men, he started gently washing their backs. I want to tell you, that's something that God can do in your heart. He can take you and make you from a wicked man to a righteous man. 
He could take you from somebody who's violent and angry, and he'll make you somebody who's gentle and kind. Some of you that are sitting in here today, you were good sinners, and when you were away from the Lord, you were sinning real good, and now that Jesus has a hold of your life, thank God that you're in church this Sunday. You're not running around. We were in church on Friday night the other day, and my pastor was preaching. I never get over being in the house of God on Friday night. Because he used to when he was lost, he was somewhere far different on Friday night. I want to tell you something, when Jesus gets a hold of you, he'll change your direction. He'll change some things in your life. If you need to get saved today, do just what the Philippian jailer did. The Philippian jailer received the Lord Jesus by believing in his name. And it shows what he was doing. He was interested in, in baptism. He wanted to follow the Lord in scriptural baptism. He and all his house, he, he had him preach the gospel to all of the, his house. And his house received the message of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what this tells me? That there's a purpose in our suffering. Now Paul and Silas could have got upset with God and they wouldn't do any praying and praising in that jail. And probably no earthquake would have took place neither. When they began to pray, and when they began to praise the Lord, some things began to shake. I want to tell you something, Metropolitan Baptist Church, God's looking for the prayers of the people who are making up the membership of this church. You want some earthquakes to take place? You want some people to get saved? You want God to fill up all the seats of this church? We better get busy on praying and praising and doing things the way that the God, that, that the God of heaven would have us to do things. God supernaturally fills people, fills a church like this. I want to tell you something. God has a purpose for the Metropolitan Baptist Church. There's a purpose in our pain. And I thank God for what he's doing in this church. Two weeks ago, I had a member of our sheepdog team come over to me and he said these words to me. He said, Pastor, I'm so glad that guy kicked your door in. (laughs) I was over here at the mission house and somebody kicked my door in. I almost took somebody's life that day. I was afraid for my wife and I was ready to defend my family. And and I'm always ready to defend my family. I want to tell you something. God protected me from doing something I shouldn't have done that day. I'd have been legally within my rights to do it, but it wouldn't have been what God wanted me to do. You know what God was doing? He was trying to add another family to this church. And God used that guy to kick this door in so so that we have somebody sitting back there. I thank God. God got a hold of some people's hearts through this. You know, God works all things for his good and for his glory. I don't know what God's working in your life or if you're looking and seeing how that God is arranging things in your life for his good and for, for your good and for his glory and how he brought you to this church. But I want to tell you something. God has a plan for your life. May we run this race giving God the glory. There's people in this church who are way older than me, and you're giving God glory. I thank God for all the people who sacrificed during these times. We had some people that were in their 70s and 80s serving people food. I'm just here to tell you, we need more servants at Metropolitan Baptist Church. And if we need more laborers at this church, where's the prayers of God's people? Oh, God, fill this church with people who would be willing to serve, who would be willing to give, who'd be willing, just like this Philippian jailer, to be somebody who's going to clean up people's wounds and, and feed people and help people. All that God would bring who he's wanting to bring to the Metropolitan Baptist Church. God has a purpose in our pain. Now, if you're sitting here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, some of you have sat through many messages about salvation. I'm here to tell you, to whom much is given, much is required. There's been enough gospel preached around here the last six months where the whole world could be saved. So if you're sitting here lost, let me ask you a question. Why is it that you still sit there and you don't know when the Lord saved you. You don't know for sure that you got a home in heaven when you die. Jesus doesn't want you to sit there for one more second not knowing if you've been saved by the grace of God. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Today's that day. If you're not saved, you can make today that today I'm coming. 
I remember the day I got saved, I started thinking all those thoughts no doubt came straight from the devil. What are people going to think about you when you walk the aisle again? you already been baptized five times. That's the truth. I was baptized five times when I was a kid. I was fighting this whole issue of salvation for a long time. My sister and my brother made a profession at the age of seven, so when I turned seven, hey, it's my time. I didn't understand the issues of faith. I went down to the altar. There were times at the altar where I just blanked out and forgot what I was even talking to the Lord about because I was a kid. And then somebody comes, well, did you get saved? Yeah. Lie to him. Knew I wasn't saved. Knew I hadn't believed on the Lord. Knew that nothing had changed in my heart. I want to tell you something. The day that I got saved, I had some thoughts going through my mind. What are people going to think? And I got to the point where I said, you know what? I don't care what one person in this church thinks. And let me ask you a question. You think anybody that came to church this Sunday is so concerned about their Sunday dinner to where they're going to be so upset that you walk an aisle and get saved? Are you kidding me? There's going to be people who are rejoicing when you come and get saved. That's what the church is all about. And I remember, I said, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not going to die and go to hell for any of these folks. I'm, I'm going, I'm going to come down there, I'm going to get saved. And I remember kneeling down, I said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I'm a sinner. I committed many sins. I tried to confess all the sins I knew I'd committed, and there's no way I could have confessed all of them. I didn't even know all the sins I'd committed. But I did say this to the Lord, I know that what you did on Calvary was for me. I believe. I believe you died on Calvary for me. And I also was telling the Lord, I believe you told me to come. And I came. Here I am. Just as I am. I've come for salvation. And the Bible says that you won't cast me out if I come. And I was sitting there talking with the Lord. and I didn't have no peace in my heart. So what's missing? What am I missing? And finally it was just like a thought that came to my mind from the Holy Spirit. You have not believed. You didn't trust Christ. And I said, Lord, I believe. I believe you'll, you'll take me just as I am. I believe in the finished work of Jesus on Calvary. And when I said, Lord, I believe and believed in my heart, I could feel the Holy Spirit come inside and take up residence. You know, never in the Bible does it tell you to ask Jesus to save you. But all over the Bible it says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to have faith. You've got to believe in the one that you cannot see. If you're not saved today and the Lord's working in your heart, don't delay at all. Just come and be saved. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We'll prepare for a verse of this invitation. This is a time where we separate as an invitation time at the Metropolitan Baptist Church. Down here we have some stairs. It's just steps that lead to the, to the pulpit area. And a lot of times people come down here and they, they use it as an altar. They'll kneel down. You have something going on in your life and in your heart. And you need to pray to the Lord about it. I want to ask you to come. The song's going to be sung by Brother John on the first verse as you're all on the altar. As the pianist begins to play, maybe God's spoken to your heart and you don't know Jesus as your Savior. If you want to be saved today, why don't you just step on out. Come down here in the front. Somebody, whether me or someone else, will work with you about how to know that you're saved. As, we, as Brother John sings, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. You have longed for sweet peace and for faith to increase and have
all sing together. services today. We pray that you've sensed the Spirit of God, and uh, we, we certainly felt a liberty today in church to preach the Word of God. And, uh, you know, whenever there's a liberty like that and the Lord is moving in the services, there's an opportunity for you to meditate on what God said to you. Now, I always encourage people to bring three books to church. You know, the good book, bring the Bible, bring a notebook so you can write down what God did for you and bring a checkbook in case you want to bless somebody. But let's say you didn't bring your checkbook. I, that, I, I could care less about that. Won't you write down what God's speaking to you about today? Don't let this opportunity for God to work in your heart pass you by. And I know after services are over, there's dinner. People will eat. Maybe you're going to go watch a ball game or whatever. I pray if God's working on your heart, he doesn't let you rest until you get to that place where you know what God's dealing with you about. You know, that's one of the good things about writing things down about what God's speaking to you about. So, so that you, you know, hey, if God's saying something to you through the preaching, he can really work in your life and you can get to a place of spiritual peace and rest. And uh, we thank the Lord for your kind attention this morning. I thought we had great services, and we're certainly thankful we had visitors here today. And when I say this, this is not just a cliche. This is not just something that we say because it's what all churches do. We pray for our visitors. And you've honored us by being here today. You know, I come from Detroit, Michigan. God brought me here to Fort Worth, Texas. And every time I see a visitor come to church in this old dark world, I say, thank you, Lord, for doing something for us. There's a lot of churches that the visitors just aren't coming. And not only are we seeing visitors, we're seeing more, more visitors. And we're seeing God add to our number. 
And during this year, I think we're up to 27 or 28 people who've joined this church since January. In many churches, they'd call that revival. And uh, I just pray that God continue to bring people. If God's working in your life to join this church, if, you have a, if you're from a different church and uh, you're wanting to join up here with us, and please see me after service so we can talk about that. And uh, I just I pray that God would work greatly in our services. We do pray God's blessings on you and your family uh, this afternoon, tonight. We're having all of those that were on vacation come back with us. So if you want to see the Flores family and hug their neck and uh, the Martin family and push them around. or No, I'm just playing. Uh, if, you, if you want to come back tonight, we have 6 p.m. services tonight. And uh, we'd love to see you back here. Uh, don't forget to mark your calendar for all those announcements. We're going to go ahead and we're going to pray and be dismissed. And I'm going to call Brother Earl Cavanaugh, our young adult Sunday school teacher, up to the podium. As he, and he's going to dismiss us in a word of prayer. Very thankful for Brother Earl. God bless you, brother. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the messages as it's gone forth today. And God, our utmost desire, Lord, is to be one here this morning that's lost and undone without you, God, that they may come to the foreknowledge of you today. Dear Lord, I know as our dear sister sung that song this morning and talking about telling you what, what the Lord has done for you. I know you've done so much for me, Lord, as, as I just attempt to surrender my life to you each and every day. God, we pray for those who are not with us, those who are sick. Dear Father, that you might touch their bodies. Give them healing, Father. We pray for the ones traveling back this afternoon, that you might give them traveling safety. And Lord, we uh, pray for our visitors today, Lord, that you might just let them know somehow that we love them. Lord, we pray for them, and, and we look forward to seeing them back again at the next appointed time, Lord. So watch over us, dear Father. Lead us, guide us, and direct us. Help us ever to look to you for all of our needs. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.